Well, as many of you know, Katie and myself both attended Kingswood University for undergrads, and that was up in New Brunswick, Canada. And little geography lesson for those of you who aren't familiar with New Brunswick. You go all the way up to Maine, and then you hang a right and drive a couple hours, and it's right there. Now, this time of year, New Brunswick, Canada is absolutely gorgeous. You have all the fall leaves, you got the pumpkins, they know how to do fall and how to do fall well. Winter, on the other hand, is not so much the good story. Well, there's one winter in particular, it was the worst winter I've ever experienced in my life. I think it probably was for Katie as well. And it was bad. Even for Canada, it was bad. We're talking wind chills of negative 50, where they still made us walk to classes. Still haven't gotten over that. <laughs> and then we would get multiple storms, sometimes one or two a week, where they would drop three to six feet of snow in one setting. It got so bad that even the Canadians were complaining about how bad winter was. Well, as you can imagine, the snow would continue to pile up. They'd plow it from the parking lots, and then it got so bad that they had to call contractors in to basically just pile it up with heavy construction equipment. And these mountains of snow were getting up to be about 20 feet high and about 70 feet long. They were these huge mountains of snow. Well, there's a group of guys who decided to turn the mountain behind my dorm into a fortress. And so they dug a tunnel system going throughout this mountain. They dug holes in the top where you could sit inside and hide, throw snowballs. It was a very elaborate and very pretty impressive feature. Well, one night I was exploring this mountain with some friends, one of which was Katie. And we were by one of these holes. So my roommate was there, and I thought it would be funny to try and push him into said hole. Well, it was a little slippery, and I ended up falling into the hole myself, going headfirst into it with my legs sticking up out it. <laughs> now, initially, this seems a little bit funny, but following that, about six inches of snow fell on top of my face, and then the roommate that I was trying to push in decided to fall in behind me, also going in headfirst. Now, this sounds kind of funny, and Katie and I talk about this story frequently. It's a very impactful moment of my college career. But in that moment, when he fell on top of that snow, and all that snow packed around my face, there's about 20 or 30 seconds where I was not able to breathe. And that was the closest I ever experienced sheer panic. You see, that hole is about this wide. There is no way I could get out of that hole by myself. There's no way he could get off from being on top of me by himself. And I knew that, and so I was panicking. It wasn't until somebody, Katie, was able to pull my roommate out by herself, by his feet, and drag him out of that hole, and then drag me out as well, that I was able to be free from that snow. Now looking back, yes, it's a funny story now, but it wasn't a fun night. But this morning I want to talk about freedom. And in a minute we're going to f I'm going to tell you what kind of freedom. But first I want to go to our passage in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 11. It says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, 
not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Now last week, Pastor Theo um, talked about the parable of the fig tree, and so Jesus is continuing on in his ministry, and now he finds himself at a synagogue where he's teaching. Well, my first point this morning is that the enemy wants to bring us down. Now, when you look at today's passage, the first thing that pops out is more than likely the woman who has a disability is crippled and how Jesus heals her in a miraculous way. When you go throughout the Gospels, there's so many examples of Jesus healing people. It's what Jesus became known for most, second only to his incredible teaching. He traveled throughout Israel, healing many people that were brought to him. That's why initially today's text, it appears to be another story of him healing somebody else. There's something I want to point out that if you aren't careful, you can easily miss while reading today's text. Verse 11 says, And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. This woman was crippled by a spirit. If it wasn't bad enough that she had to endure this disability for so long, it was made worse by the fact that this disability was caused by a spirit, by Satan. This adds a whole other element to the context of today's passage. See, in addition to this physical battle she is enduring, she also has a spiritual battle that's engulfing this woman and her body. Think about this woman and what her condition must have been like. She was crippled to the point where she had to bend over and she was not able to stand straight for 18 solid years. Go home and try walking around for 18 seconds with your back bent over and you'll see how truly difficult this is. She had to deal with this for almost two decades. Scripture doesn't say, but I'm guessing at some point during those 18 years, she more than likely said some kind of prayer asking for God to heal her. But yet for 18 years, she was continuing to face this painful disability. But here's what's truly inspiring about this woman. Even after 18 years of nothing happening, no improvement over her condition, where does she find herself? She finds herself in a synagogue worshiping God. She had an immense amount of faith that was strong enough for her to continue to go and worship despite the physical limitations she experienced. And I'm guessing it was probably pretty difficult for her to get around and to walk to the synagogue and go through that kind of pain, but she still pushed through it. She still wanted to be fed. She wanted to feed her mind with the word of God, and she was not going to let her condition prevent her from doing so. She truly is an inspiration for us today of the reminder and importance of coming together as a body to worship our creator, despite what might be happening in our lives. So here she is at the synagogue, another Sabbath day, worshiping God when Jesus sees her and calls her forward. I think it's interesting that she didn't seek Jesus out. She didn't ask him to heal her. He was the one that told her to come to him. There's two important reasons why Jesus called her forward in such a public fashion. The first was that he knew her condition was caused by an evil spirit. He knew that Satan was present there. 
and he wanted to expose him and defeat him. He was also going to use this woman's condition and her healing as a lesson for those around them about freedom. I'll try and picture what this service must have looked like. You're going to the synagogue, you're going to worship, should be just another ordinary Sabbath. But then it gets a little exciting because you have a special speaker. We all love special speakers. And this one turned out to be Jesus. So it's a pretty incredible service happening. And then all of a sudden you have this woman who's been disabled and she's been coming for 18 years. She's probably become a fixture of that gathering of people. And Jesus calls her forward. He speaks over her. He lays hands on her. And she's able to stand straight for the first time in 18 years. Imagine the excitement that must be building, the spirit that must have been present there. So she stands up straight and she immediately starts to praise God for what he has done. She was healed, but more importantly, she was set free. Satan's what caused this woman to be bound, literally to the point that she had to bend her back for 18 years. We know that this isn't the only way that the enemy attacks people, nor are physical illnesses the only thing he uses to try and hold people captive or try to attack those who are already Christ followers. We can also be brought down in the same way through our sin. Psalm 36.8 says, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. This is David writing these words as he's reflecting on the sin in his life that has brought him great suffering to the point where he can't even hold his head up. We can also be brought down by suffering, or by sorrow, as we see in Psalm 42.5. It says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In this psalm, the author is expressing sorrow over not being able to be in Jerusalem and being able to worship in the temple due to being in some kind of exile. We could also be brought down through suffering. Psalm 44:25 says, We are brought down to the dust, and our bodies cling to the ground. This psalm is believed to have been written following a great defeat that the nation of Israel experienced. As you can see, there's a theme here that centers around bowing down. Whether it's the woman being forced to in today's passage, or whether it's self-inflicted like David and the sin that he had committed. This is very significant for the culture during when this was written. For this woman to be forced to bow down meant she was on the same level as the beast or animals that roamed the earth. Remember, the serpent's punishment for his role in the fall was that he would forever crawl on the dust of the ground. Being brought down or forced to bow down like this woman is representative of the enemy, his presence, or the sin that one has committed in their lives. In today's text and each of the examples we just looked at in Psalms, we can see how these things have taken these people captive. They've formed a spiritual chain around them that has helped, that has made them in bondage. This woman was in bondage for 18 years by this evil spirit from Satan. David was in bondage by the sin that he had committed. The author of that third Psalm was in exile, who was in exile was experiencing bondage in their life due to the suffering that their life circumstances was causing them. Now think about your own life. How's the enemy trying to take you captive? How's the enemy trying to bring you down? Even though the previous examples happened thousands of years ago, the enemy still uses the same methods to attack us today, to try and prevent us from fully worshiping God, or keeping those who don't know God from ever finding him 
and from ever finding freedom from their chains. Just as he did with the woman in today's text, the enemy can attack us physically with ailments, sickness, or disease. Now, this doesn't mean that every sickness we experience is due to the, due to the enemy. It just means he's capable of using these things to bring us down. Maybe there are some of you that feel trapped by sin that is in your life, such as David did. Or maybe you're experiencing some kind of suffering or sorrow. Or maybe you experienced a week where it seemed like everything was going wrong. You're saying, what else can go wrong? And then something else goes wrong. We've all had those weeks. Satan uses these things to bring us down. He uses these things to discourage us. Whatever it is, I want you to think about if there's something in your life that's holding you captive or something that's coming between you and Christ. In a little bit, we'll come back to that thing. A while back, Pastor Theo said something along the lines of, if the devil's not chasing you, ask why. I'm sorry if I butchered that quote, but hopefully you get the point. When we're seeking to live a life for Christ, the enemy is going to try and do everything he is to stop us. He's going to try and bring us down into the dust. He's going to try and put us in chains so that we cannot follow Christ. And if he's not trying, then maybe you need to ask why. This is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to put chains around us and bring us down. He tries to burden us with so much that we feel like we're going to suffocate and have nowhere to go. This is what the enemy likes, and this is what the enemy wants. This is why he attacks us and why he'll do whatever he can to come between us and our relationship with God. And if we have that relationship, he'll do anything he can to keep us from growing. Just like the snow that was packed around my face made me feel like I couldn't breathe, the enemy does the same thing. This is what he hopes to achieve through these burdens and these chains. But we know that we can be set free from those chains through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ shed his blood on the cross so that we can turn our burdens over to him and so that we can be free from those chains. And that's what my second point is this morning, is that we can experience freedom through faith in Christ that will lift us up. Earlier I said to try and imagine what it must have been like to be a part of this service and these incredible things that were unfolding. Well, I want you to go back, put yourself in that spot where she's just been healed, she's praising God, all this excitement is happening. You would think that there would be an incredible spirit of celebration. But instead, there's indignation, especially from the leader of the synagogue. Verse 14 says, Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on these days, not on the Sabbath. It's like, when in the world are the Jewish leaders going to learn not to argue with what Jesus says or when he does something? They never seem to learn their lesson. At least this time, the leader did not speak directly to Jesus. Instead, he admonished the crowd. He admonished them for being so guilty of wanting to be healed on the Sabbath. Why is this a big deal? Well, to be healed or to help someone to be healed was considered work. We've talked before about how the Jewish people took their law to the extreme, especially when it came to what was considered work. Now think about the irony of this. Imagine if this woman and these people who wanted to be healed did wait till the next day. Who was going to heal them? Was the religious leader going to? Did he have the power to heal them? No. If he did, he would have healed this woman at some point over the past 18 years. Instead of rejoicing with the woman and celebrating with her, the leader became angry 
and took it out upon the people who were there. This leader was missing out on so much. You see, this woman was experiencing physical bondage, and as painful as that would have been for 18 years, it was nothing compared to the kind of bondage that this man was on, going through. His bondage was in his mind and in his heart. He was so focused on doing things a certain way that he was blinded to the good that was happening around him, to the point where he found himself opposing God. Now, this isn't really a great look when you're a religious leader to be opposing God. This man allowed his obsession with following the Jewish law to the letter to keep him from acknowledging the miraculous and incredible event that had just happened. Instead of rejoicing and praising God, he scolded the people when they didn't even do anything. Jesus responds to the leader and others who are holding his view by calling them hypocrites, saying that they treat their animals better than they're treating this woman. See, if you remember, a while back I talked about some of the Jewish laws. One of them was work, untying a knot was considered work. You could not untie a knot on the Sabbath. Well, you see, while Jewish leaders would not work on the Sabbath day, they also did not want to lose their valuable livestock. Their value was very important to them but their livestock happened to be tied up. So they had this dilemma. And as the Jewish leaders were so good at, they created a loophole in the Sabbath law that allowed for untying animals and taking them out so they could drink water, exempting this task from being considered work. However, to help someone be healed or to be healed yourself was still not allowed on the Sabbath. Jesus reminds the leaders that if God was going to allow for this provision for animals to be taken care of, then why in the world would he not want his own people to care for other people who were created in his image, even if it meant they were technically working? Jesus was saying that any law or tradition that keeps them, that keeps us from helping others is not from God. These very traditions that were meant to help God's people were being transformed into excuses to not help those who were in need or were hurting. Now think about Jesus. He was a Jew. He knew what the Jewish law was. He very easily could have waited one more day to heal this woman. And she had been dealing with this disability for 18 years. So as painful as it was, I don't think one more day would have made a huge difference. But Jesus was very intentional about choosing to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was very intentional about calling out this woman and healing her, even though it was the Sabbath, even though he knew it technically was work. And again, it's important to see that this woman did not seek Jesus out. She did not ask him to heal her. She was at the synagogue so that she could worship, not be healed. But Jesus called her out and called her to come to him. He knew what he was doing. He knew what the heart of that religious leader was like. And he did this on purpose to show an important lesson about freedom, which we'll come to in a minute. After reminding the leader of the synagogue that he cared more about his animals than he did this woman, Jesus continued to defend her, saying in verse 16, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? In this verse, Jesus is using the word freedom for the second time in this passage. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus was focusing on. Freedom from the thing that were holding people captive, both in how this woman was being held in bondage through her physical disability that was caused by an evil spirit, 
and the bondage that people were letting their traditions and regulations hold them captive from doing what God had called them to do. Another significant phrase Jesus used was when he called this woman a daughter of Abraham. Now remember that all Jewish women would be descendants of Abraham. That's what made them Jewish. But when Jesus said this, he wasn't talking about her literal birth. He was talking about her spiritual condition. Galatians 3.7 says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Jesus is saying that she had become a believer even before she had been healed. This is another thing that sets her off from the traditional stories of where we see people healed, where they then believe. She was already believing before she was healed. This woman was oppressed by a spirit sent from Satan. We already know that Satan can and does attack the bodies of God's people. And sometimes this oppression can go on for many years, such as in today, the woman in today's text, until someone realizes it's Satan at work. As I said, while Satan can attack our physical bodies, it doesn't mean every sickness is from him. The lesson Jesus was teaching was that Satan puts people in bondage, but that the only true freedom comes from trusting in Jesus Christ. And that the kind of Sabbath that God wants to give is a heart rest that comes through the grace he extends to us, not through any actions we can take ourselves. The enemy wants to bring us down, but we can experience freedom through faith in Christ that will lift us up. My first application this point, my first application point this morning is to allow Christ to break the chains that are holding you captive. Turn the things that are holding you captive over to Christ. In my first point, I asked you to think about if there's anything that is holding you captive, anything the enemy was trying to use to bring you down, to discourage you, to make you bow down like the woman in today's text. It could be a physical ailment or an illness like the woman dealt with. It could be some sin that you've been struggling with or some sin that's creeping into your life. Or maybe it's some kind of suffering or sorrow. Or maybe you have a loved one who is experiencing pain and you're finding yourself mourning for them. There are many, many different ways the enemy can use to bring us down or to attempt to put us in chains. These are just a few examples. But no matter what it is, it doesn't matter. You can, you can experience freedom from those chains right here and right now. That was Jesus' whole point for healing this woman the way he did, so that she would experience freedom, but also so those around her would experience freedom as well. That same freedom that Jesus offered to people in that synagogue so long ago is available to you here today. The enemy can try all kinds of things to put us in chains and bring us down, but there's absolutely nothing he can do that Jesus Christ cannot overcome. You won't be able to break these chains on your own. You have to give them over to Christ and allow him to break them. He is there and he is ready to do so, but you have to actually hand those chains over to him. When we do, he will give us freedom unlike anything we could ever imagine. A kind of rest for our heart and our soul that only comes from being one with Christ. My second point is to know where you find your identity. One of the biggest ways the enemy tries to attack us is by affecting our identity or where we find our identity. Well, it has everything to do with what we've been talking about today. When we give our lives over to Christ, we're, leaving, we're 
having a new identity, leaving our old identity behind and replacing it with one that is in Christ. When we're experiencing attacks from the enemy, it's easy to forget where our identity lies. This is what the enemy wants. This is the purpose of his attacks, to return us to our old identity. He wants us to find it in other things besides Christ. When we allow ourselves to get bogged down with everything around us, it can be easy to forget where we should find our identity. We may be tempted to find it in our jobs, our hobbies, our passions, our successes, even our failures. But we know that we are God's greatest creation, that he created us in his image. And that's where our identity should be found. If you find yourself struggling to remember this, or maybe you just need some extra encouragement, God has given us promises throughout Scripture that speak to our identity and who we are in Christ. These are known as I Am statements. I'm going to read several of them for you. And as I do, just pronounce these over your life. John 1.12 says, I am God's child. Romans 5.1, I have been justified. 1 Corinthians 12.27, I am a member of Christ's body. Ephesians 1.5, I have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. When you're feeling overwhelmed by the enemy's attacks, just remember that you have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.14, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. Colossians 2.10, I am complete in Christ. Philippians 1.6, I am a citizen of heaven. 2 Timothy 1.7, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. And finally, 1 John 5.18 says, I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. These are just a few statements that are true about, true about those who have given their life over to Christ, who have allowed him to break those chains that were forcing them to bow in bondage. This is where you can find your identity. The next time you feel like you're under attack, you feel like the enemy is trying to bring you down, speak these statements over your life. Now as Rhonda and the worship team comes forward and closes, I just want to remind you that the altar is open. And as a part of our, this application point, I just want you to think about these two things. Is there a chain? Is there something in your life that you feel like is bringing you down or is putting you in some kind of bondage, a burden that you need to give over to God. And if that's you, just feel free to come to the altar. The altar's open and to take these burdens, to take these chains to God, but more importantly, to leave them here on the altar. If maybe you're struggling with your identity and you just need a reminder that you are a citizen of heaven, you can come forward as well. Just take this time to just give your burdens over to Christ.